Hello and welcome to A Future Made. I'm Anna Pajajski, I'm a material scientist and writer. And I'm Robbie Armstrong, a reporter and journalist. Together we're bringing you A Future Made, a brand new series of podcasts from Heriot Watt University. Across seven podcasts in the series, we're finding out all about the pioneering research going on at the university in the fields of science, business, technology, design and engineering. In this episode, we're discovering how robotics is changing healthcare. And I'm not talking about robots performing operations. This is robots that you might bump into in, for example, a hospital waiting room or something like that. And it's absolutely extraordinary to me that the whole idea of robots being part of the future is now suddenly really different. You know, robots are here in our actual present and not just in a lab. So I've been meeting the academics making all of this possible in the university's robotics department, which is part of Heriot Watt University's International Centre for Excellence in Robotics Research. Wait, so are we talking here about developing medically trained robots? No, well, not exactly. These robots are the sort being developed to help improve people's lives when they're at the most vulnerable. So in hospitals, for example. I think it's time to meet Pepper and Christian. Hi, my name is Pepper. I am one of the robots at Harriet Watt University. We are at a point where we do not have enough humans to do all the tasks that we need in healthcare and elder care. So one of the biggest issues in robots in elder care is that robots are a strange modern device that a lot of people are either afraid of or in the best case, skeptical. This is Christian Dondrop, assistant professor at Heriot Watt University, working in the field of human-robot interaction. The robot has to prove itself right from the start. It has to work, it has to do the thing it's supposed to do without being too much of a burden. The challenge is if the robot has to interact with the older adults that it's supposed to care for, then it will have to be catered to their needs. So we had a robot with a touchscreen, for example, but older people might not know what a touchscreen is or how to use it. So we had to facilitate this by making the interaction as simple as possible. Or if you think of older adults, they might have problems hearing or seeing. So the robot might become a sudden obstacle in their way if they if they move through a hospital, for example, or they cannot see the, the writing on a screen, or they cannot hear what the robot is saying. So that's interesting then. So not only does Christian have to program the robots and how they're going to respond, but he's going to have to study the human subjects that these robots are made for in order to try and understand their needs better. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things he was saying is that they run experiments in their lab, often on younger people or it's on academics who are well-versed in technology. Once the initial experiments are done, They then need to run validations in hospitals or target environments, which are the actual situation or as close to the actual situation that they will be used in. And then 
often they get to that stage and they find that there's completely new needs that they need to cater for. And then they have to, you know, redevelop and go back to looking at how the robot will actually be used in a real world application rather than the way that they think it should be used in the lab once they get it out into the real world. Definitely. It's a really nice example, I think, of where patient engagement or public engagement is super important in university research. Because, you know, without actually including the target audience of your research in what you're doing, of course you're not going to make something that is suitable for their needs. In our current project, which is called Spring, we want to put a robot in a daycare hospital in France where it would roam the waiting area of a hospital and try to identify people who might look nervous or anxious or who sit a bit apart from everybody else to be able to check up on them and answer their questions. Because the question that everybody has when they sit in a waiting room is, how long do I still have to wait? When is my next appointment? What is my next appointment going to be? Where can I get a coffee? Where can I go to the toilet? And all of these are questions that people have, but that might be hard to answer for staff at all times. So the robot will be programmed to identify the people who are in need of a conversation, so to say and reassure them, answer their questions about all these common issues, but also try to entertain them. So the robot is meant to be a distraction for people, and that's the best thing we can do at the moment. I can imagine one of the challenges that Christian has is, you know, cognitive impairments. That's such a huge topic. There's going to be such a variety of experience and ability of this target audience, you know, within that group of people that are cognitively impaired. So to be able to produce a product that is applicable to a wide number of those people, I can imagine would be a real challenge. People might not remember um, what the conversation was about they had with the robot um, a couple of minutes down the line. So you can't go into complex discussions of things. Again, you must allow the robot to repeat itself, to repeat important information more often and you have to anticipate that the um, interaction partner will not follow the strand of interaction that you anticipated they, they would follow because they might not remember. What I find fascinating about this is how we have a tendency to project our human attributes onto robots, even if they aren't programmed to have soft skills. So then the engineers, they're tasked with designing robots that can chat to us like humans can. Yeah, and I think we're so much less forgiving of technology and, and these robots in this example, aren't we? I think we can forgive humans a lot more um, than we probably can a robot. You know, if anyone is listening who owns a printer... <laughs> <laughs> I I am very unforgiving of my printer when it um when it screws up my printing again or when it gets a paper jam again you know we don't believe that these things should go wrong with technology and yet we're very forgiving when when humans make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the printer has one job, just to print the paper that you want. <laughs> Why can't it do that? There is literally no excuse, you know? <laughs> there was a survey done by the European Union in 2012 where they asked people about areas of daily life that robots should not be included in. And... The vast majority of people said that robots should not be used in healthcare education or care for the elderly. And this stems from the fear that people do not want to be left to the devices of a machine when they're older or when they're sick. They want this human compassion as well. 
but we do not have enough humans to do all the tasks that we need in healthcare. So we do need to think about robots and therefore we do need to change the perception of people um, about robots. Why do you think people do distrust this type of technology? Do you think it's the fault of sort of science fiction, <laughs> you know, all of the evil robots out there in science fiction? Or is it is it something a little bit more human in origin? You know, it, it seems almost sad, doesn't it, that, that in, in our old age, for example, we wouldn't be able to find humans to, to care for us. It seems It seems sad that we would outsource that caring role to something that doesn't have inbuilt compassion in the way that a human does. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly it. It's compassion. People want that human feeling. They want emotion. They want someone who is caring for them. And I just don't think people feel that a robot can care for them in the way that a human does. And the, the people in the lab, they're not saying that these robots should replace humans working in healthcare, elderly care, social care. These robots will facilitate and they will ease the burden. The robots will just help with tasks around the house. They'll help to answer questions. They'll help to keep them company. They might help to ease loneliness and isolation. Mm. I thought it was really interesting what he was talking about, people interacting with robots and where they want them to help in their lives, where they don't. So I headed out onto the streets of Glasgow to find out what the people thought of Christian's research. Are there any areas of your life that you would not like a robot to help you in? Everything. Every single thing. I might just back to basics, get simple. I think we're getting too complex with gadgets. I'd welcome a robot. I don't think it would be a problem. I think we trust computers and phones. You know, you get robot hoovers, so... Driving, probably. Social care. Personal relationships with, with, with colleagues. Doing surgery on me. Would you like a robot to help you? Sometimes doing my homework. Velocity. What about you? Six. Oh, six. <laughs> it's a good answer, though, isn't it? And it's it's like a lot of the themes in there is like like this interpersonal stuff, the intimate stuff. Sex is one example, but someone said social care as well. You know, it's these quote unquote human interactions that actually people don't trust robots to do yet. I don't envy Christian's job of, of trying to make this technology sort of accepted within the public sphere because there are so, such diverse opinions about this. If you think about current robotics, current robots are mainly designed to interact with a single person because this is the state of the art. If you look at dialogue, if you look at Amazon Alexa or Google Home, they are designed to interact with one person. But this is not how we interact. We um, seamlessly switch from single, from one-to-one -one interaction to group interaction. If someone joins, we always know whose turn it is to speak. We always know where the conversation is going and who had said what. And this is something that is very challenging for robots. And this is the main uh, research aim of this project, to enable a robot to follow a group conversation, to be able to track the current belief of other people like with belief we mean what does this person think the other person said what does this person think the other person thinks or what does the person think the other person's goal is in this interaction and the robot needs to take uh, needs to track all of these because we as humans do as well even if subconsciously 
And this is very hard to do for robots because you need to be able to do this for multiple people at a time. I'm interested in these these robots that are able to perform these multi-person interactions. You know, how do they actually learn this? Is it through you know ai and mach- machine learning it's it's just incredibly it's incredibly challenging so christian you know is is very much um at the forefront of trying to overcome these hurdles right now it is i must say beyond me how they're how they're quite doing this <laughs> because you know conversations are just so complex yeah. and you just don't know where they're going to go and like you were saying about beliefs there how do you program a robot to know what a person is thinking or what they're referring to or if they back reference something that was previously in a conversation or if they make a joke or they say something in an ironic fashion you know that's mm. it's, it's incredibly difficult i think to to use ai and machine learning to teach a robot all that this this project brings together people from the fields of computer vision and social sciences and healthcare sciences and um, us from from the dialogue point of view and this is a large European project where we aim to, after four years, enable these robots to be in the hospital, talk to multiple people at the same time, have maybe a little a little group entertainment um, action going on with a few people who look anxious, playing a group quiz or just having a chat about um, about the latest political developments as well, because it's always nice to have something to complain about. And this goal. We hope to achieve by 2024 when the project ends. So we're currently working towards this and we're in the first stages of building a system that is able to work on the robots to have a conversation with one person, which will then be extended to multiple people throughout the rest of the project. By the end of this, they will have robots that can that can do this and mm. putting them in this healthcare environment in France as well. They, they hope to use robots in a way that will put people at ease, that will calm them, that will alleviate their stress. And that also, if the robot gets something wrong, if it doesn't pick up on something that someone has said correctly and it makes a mistake, it can actually act as a sort of icebreaker. So in the robot, you know, messing up, it helps to bring people together. They might have a laugh about it. Yeah. So it is it is really unusual that these robots are, are not just used for very practical applications, but actually for these soft skills and actually for de-stressing people. Yeah, and I think that's a really lovely example of how Christian and his researchers are understanding humans in trying to understand robots as well um and yeah programming them in these kind of social idiosyncrasies that we um that we kind of value you know sharing a joke sharing a group discussion um and listening to all of that and especially hearing about the complexities around how difficult it is to program a group discussion in these robots. It really does give you an appreciation of kind of how amazing the human brain is. You know, even when it might be cognitively impaired, it's still such an incredible thing that we can do this, you know, without thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's utterly fascinating. It truly is. In learning about the machine, we're actually learning about ourselves as well at the same time. I'm Mauro Dragone. I work at Erotot University where I set up the robotic assisted living test bed. We have a whole range of robots. We are looking at the robots that can provide social companionship, social interactions. So I'm talking about pet robots or a robotic companion of that sort. But we are also looking at robots that are more capable 
to provide uh, to help uh, with the physical aspect of care. So the robots that will be employed in the hospital in the future, working 24-7 and carrying out also physical jobs. And looking at that range of robotics and needs uh, requires uh, a range of expertise, uh, ranging from human-robot interaction to robotic manipulation, software engineering, including the most advanced cloud robotics platforms, etc. Robot tries to have a reply to anything. So we can also talk about something completely hospital unrelated, such as, do you have a favorite movie? My favorite movie is Star Wars. I love the two androids in that film. Which movie do you like? I like Indiana Jones. I was reading about Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation a shot-for-shot remake of the original 1981 Indiana Jones adventure. Anyway, there's so much waiting involved in hospital visits, isn't there? I can talk about movies, but I can also switch topic to something completely unrelated to movies again. So coming back to the medical profession, I could ask things like, is it true that 5G causes coronavirus? The 5G story is a myth. Viruses cannot travel on radio waves or mobile networks. COVID-19 is spreading in many countries that don't have 5G networks. Geez, this robot is better at small talk than me. I feel like post-pandemic, we've all forgotten how to make small talk. We could learn a lot from this little robot. <laughs> I know it's it's sort of weird that you can program banter into a robot. Yeah. Like, but it actually can be quite funny because of that awkwardness, because it's almost a bit self-aware of how it is a bit ridiculous that the robot has like chat. But there's been studies in care homes and the fact that they do have this sort of social interaction, it can actually help to improve people's mental health. Um, and it, they actually train robots like this, like Pepper, to be culturally competent. So there's a bit of programming goes into it, which actually makes it learn about the resident's sort of interests and stuff like that. So there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. Yeah, that's so important and so clever as well. I'm interested in you know, where they get their opinions from. You know, we heard just then about dispelling 5G coronavirus myths. That's great if the people programming the robots or the database it's drawing from holds those opinions. But, you know, what happens if a flat earther starts programming these robots and spreading misinformation? Well, that's it. There's a huge responsibility on those who develop AI in robotics because people have far higher standards of robots than they do of humans because they're seen as being perfect even when they're, they're really not. They're just programmed by imperfect humans. Yeah, that's so true. In each of these episodes, we're going to hear from a Harriet Watt graduate about how being at the university is giving them new and brilliant opportunities. My name is Alexander Cole. I'm a PhD student. I'm part of the CDT at Ambrose Centre for Robotics. I'm currently doing my PhD at Elliot Watt in robotics, specialised in social robots how to interact, how they are designed, what they look like. My background is in fashion, which is a bit unusual, but Ayotwat and uh, the CDT believed in my proposal. I feel very privileged to be accepted with my unusual background, I would say. So this is a, a new direction in robotics where it's kind of an object which comes to life, that reacts to you. It becomes attuned 
to your needs and, and listens to you, react to you within your domestic environment. So it looks like, you can imagine, it looks like a, a pillow. I like to compare it as a pillow, and a pillow coming to life. So this is a new approach for social robots. Ayotwad has a very interesting and very talented mixed board of students working in different fields. The beautiful thing in robotics is it's a multidisciplinary endeavor. So therefore, you cannot do everything by yourself and you need to collaborate. So if you want to find out more about becoming a Ayotwad student, visit the website at hw.ac.uk. Hope to see you soon. That's so cool that this person was able to kind of cross-fertilise their skills from fashion design into robotics. Yes, it's very open um, of the university and forward thinking because this is the the robotics Mm. department, which seems sort of worlds away from fashion and textiles. But what they did is they linked up Alexandra with the great campus down in the borders which is the sort of Scottish centre of textiles history they made this link between the two departments this sort of cross-pollination helps them to do new and exciting things You're listening to A Future Made a brand new podcast from Heriot Watt University with Anna Pajajski and Robbie Armstrong So far, Robbie's been introducing me to some of the tricky and curious cutting-edge robotics challenges that students and academics at the university are trying to tackle. In the second half of the show, we'll get a tour of the Robot Living Lab, literally a simulated apartment, and we'll find out how the courses at Heriot Watt create links between academia and the real world. In this laboratory, we look at robotic technology in the larger sense. We are looking at robotics technology, but also autonomous system and interactive system, the like of uh, what we find in the the Alexa uh, voice assistant, for example. Hi, my name is Pepper. I am one of the robots at Robotic Assisted Living Testbed at Harriet Watt University, along with Tiago from PAL Robotics and the Toyota Human Support Robot. People in this laboratory are working to understand how robots like us can work together with smart home and cloud technology to better assist people with care and support needs. Hello, we are here in the Assisted Living Lab in the Lyle Center at Harriet Watt. And I'm here with uh, Mauro Dragona and uh, several different robots, such as the Miro, which you might be able to hear in the background and the Pepper robot from SoftBank Robotics and uh, Tiago from PAL Robotics and a human support robot from Toyota. And the Miro robot I talked to you about in the beginning is just roaming about the, um, the apartment and the Miro robot itself is a bit of a mixture between a rabbit and a dog and it's meant as kind of an emotional companion robot which is why it makes cute little noises while it's driving about which I will show to you now. So the mirror robot is programmed to be an emotional companion or social companion, zoomorphic robot, which means it's animal-like and exhibits animal-like behavior and is supposed to um, elicit feelings of comfort and therefore shows behaviors um, that are common to animals, such as being attracted to noises or being frightened by noises and other similar behaviors.
pepper right now is being controlled from one of our students in Norway. Rakin Sarder has developed a system, a software system that allows everyone in the world to control robots such as these as long as they have an internet connection. Rakin is one of our master students. At Heriot University we have a master program in robotics, in human-robot interaction and in smart system integration. And this is an example of a, a, a project that has been conducted completely online. Rakin has worked from Norway, but using cloud and the Internet of Things technology, he managed to develop this application, which is very relevant for healthcare because it allows carers to take control of robots such as these to carry out checkup and also assist people with care and support needs over the Internet. Ah, oh, so I don't know how I feel about those cute little animal robots. I've kind of found their sounds quite annoying. I don't know. What do you think? I, I do get that. Yeah, but I just find them sort of quite entertaining. You know, I just find them. I mean, I know that they're programmed to be helpful and to have, you know, real world applications and to be useful. But I just I just find them quite funny. But um, I guess there's another question of whether I would want that robot to be looking after me or to be my companion. Yes, there's a certain charm to them, definitely. But I don't know. There's still something that I think is a little bit sinister. <laughs> Master students and PhD students working in this laboratory don't just learn about technology, but they also learn about the end user, the potential user of this, of this technology. We work closely with healthcare organizations and care providers in Scotland and the UK. We run co-design sessions where we involve the students to understand what the end user wants out of this technology. It's a, a crucial important that technology is designed with the active participation of the end users and the students are routinely involved in this, in this exercise. That's so interesting then. So it's not just the kind of technical aspects that the students have to learn about. We've been talking about soft skills. We've been talking about sort of the psychology of it. We heard earlier from somebody whose background is in fashion and understanding the human side of these robots as well. It's all part of it, isn't it? 100%. And not only that, but they've set up this living test bed and then they also work with housing associations and care organisations. So it's this sort of public-private partnership mm. with the universities. So they you know, develop this technology but then they also want to see how that's going to work when they put it out into the world. And that's one of the things that you can do there. You know, it's it's, it's quite world leading. Absolutely. And I think that's so important. I remember when I was doing my sort of master's research, it's so exciting at that point of your career to actually see what you've been learning, you know, theoretically in classes and, and in your sort of formal education, to see that really applied in the real world and making a difference to people's lives. We are definitely at the at the top of this uh, business of making uh, in the robotics engineering of the future. Uh, it's very nice to see our students uh, leaving us and joining straight away the major companies uh, of uh, robotic manufacturers in Europe and in the world. And actually, those students become then our colleagues. We, we have an example of students that uh, soon after the Master in Robotics have gone to uh, be responsible of a European project uh, using the latest uh, example of, ro of robotics. It's a very exciting time to, 
to study robotics because uh, um, there are so many opportunities to do uh, interesting work and in especially in the healthcare and the assistive sector. Yeah, it's amazing. And those links between academia and industry are so, so important. We can do all the research we want in universities, but if it doesn't actually get out there into the real world to make a difference to people's lives, then there's little point in doing it. And it sounds like they've got those links there already to really make those connections and and make a difference. It's really important for master's students to be able to see their career trajectories I can't imagine that working in an area like robotics would ever be something that would be a bad career prospect. You know, there's so many transferable skills there. But I think it sounds like the course has such an existing brilliant network through which students can go on to, you know, find exciting new careers and go on to those next steps after the course as well. I think that's really important when you are embarking on something like this to have an eye on the end goal. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all about taking academia and putting it out in the real world. Let's finish with a few wise words from Christian Dondrop. If you study computer science, there are so many different areas you can go into. You can do almost anything with it in the modern world. You can do into app development, robotics, biology, physics, mathematics. You can do almost anything in computer science. And I, as a young student, when I just embarked on my undergraduate studies, was not really sure if computer science was the thing for me to study, but I quickly found out that because it is so varied, I can basically do whatever I like and I could follow my dream on making things that work in the real world and making things that move about and can interact with people. And this is something that I would have never thought when I started my studies. Thanks for listening to A Future Made. If you want to find out more about innovating for the future, you can visit the Harriet Watt University website at hw.ac.uk to check out their robotics courses. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss an episode. Just search for A Future Made.